And now, for the first time in color, the 38th Academy Award. And welcome back to The Snub Club. You know, with any truly great motion picture, the only thing that dates it really are the fashions of the time. The podcast with the movies that have the most Oscar noms and no wins whatsoever. This is the night devoted to one man, Oscar. Hello, and welcome back to The Snub Club, the podcast where we talk about the movie that has the most Oscar noms and no wins whatsoever. I'm your host, Danny Vincent, and I believe I might have the imagination to be the senior partner senior member of this partnership you gotta okay. i'm gonna be honest i don't i don't i don't get it <laughs> um caleb do you get it no oh, <laughs> what a... you guys don't remember this they said it like 60 times in the movie it was like i'm gonna be the senior member now of the partnership i want to be the senior member now did we watch the same movie yes Clearly, I don't remember this part. Um, hey, whatever happened to the host, Sarah? She's right here. <laughs> Are you there, Sarah? <laughs> <laughs> and I am the tyrannical government of Baton Rouge coming to tear down your plantation, Caleb Bunn. None of us were like, hush, hush. None of us took the easy way out. All right. This episode, we're at the 37th Academy Awards of 1965. All right. A lot of movies got a lot of noms this year. With 13 nominations was Mary Poppins. It won five of them. Of course it won Best Actress for Julie Andrews. One of the most, I think this is one of the most famous wins of Before We Were Born of any Oscar. Anyway. And then also won Best Original Score, Best Original Song for Chim Chim Cheree, um, Best Film Editing, and Best Special Effects. Then with 12 nominations, was My Fair Lady. It won eight of them. It won Best Picture, Best Director for George Kapoor. I can never pronounce his name right. Um, Best Actor for Rex Harrison, Best Adapted Score, Best Sound, Best Art Direction Color, Best Cinematography Color, and Best Costume Design Color. Then with 12 noms, also, is a film called Beckett. It only wins Best Adapted Screenplay. Hold on that, because I have a fun fact about that later. But then, with seven nominations, is a film called Zorba the Greek. It wins three. It wins Supporting Actress for Lila Kedrova, Best Art Direction Black and White, and Best Cinematography Black and White. And then another film has seven nominations, but no wins. And that film is Hush, Hush, Sweet Charlotte. Did I pronounce the... Um, the punctuation correct, do you guys think? It's hush. Hush, sweet Charlotte. <laughs> or maybe it's hush. Hush, sweet Charlotte. I thought it was an exclamation point. I wasn't actually, I didn't have it open in front of me, so that's why I read it wrong. I thought it was hush, hush. <laughs> There's an ellipsis, I know that. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Sarah, what was hush, hush, sweet Charlotte nominated for? Uh, well, it was nominated for Best Supporting Actress for Agnes Moorhead, who lost to Lila Kadrova for Zorba the Greek. Uh, she was nominated three more times. 
Best Art Direction Black and White for William Glasgow and Raphael Breton. They lost to Vasilis Fodopoulos for Silver the Greek. Uh, Breton was nominated two more times and won for Hello Dolly. Uh, Best Cinematography Black and White for Joseph Burek, who lost to uh, Walter Lassily for Silver the Greek. Uh, and he won for The Towering Inferno. Best Costume Design, Black and White, for Norma Koch, who lost to Dorothy Jenkins for Night of the Iguana. Um, she won for Whatever Happened to Baby Jane and was nominated for Lady Sings the Blues. Uh, Best Film Editing for Michael Luciano, who lost to Cotton Warburton for Mary Poppins. Uh, he was nominated three more times. Uh, Best Music Score, Substantially Original, for Frank Duvall, who lost to the Sherman Brothers for Mary Poppins. He was nominated four more times, including Best Song that year. Uh, and then Best Song for Frank Duvall and Mac David. They, of course, lost to the Sherman Brothers for Mary Poppins. Uh, and Mac David was nominated seven more times. Okay. Now, Caleb, I feel like your historic context is going to lead us directly into the film. So may I talk about the ceremony? Absolutely. Go for it. All right. So... As I alluded to already, the most famous part of this Oscar ceremony, I would say, and honestly, this year in movies, is the My Fair Lady Mary Poppins debacle, where Julie Andrews was passed over to be the lead of My Fair Lady because she wasn't famous and she wasn't Audrey Hepburn. I know we love Audrey here. Sorry, Sarah. But this, is a big, this is a big snub, big, honestly. She was not nominated for it. And more famously, that... Um, Julie Andrews wins, and ugh, I, I wish I should just open her speech. Her speech is so good. Or she's like, I'd like to thank, and she goes like, I'd like to thank Jack Warner for this. I don't know if she opens with that or closes with it, but she has that line in there because Jack Warner was the one who's like, she's not famous enough to play Eliza Doolittle despite originating the role on Broadway. Um, but yeah, great year for movie musicals. I've never actually seen My Fair Lady. Maybe it's good. Probably it's good. It's good. Probably, probably a little dated because like most Pygmalion things are, but I'm sure I would enjoy it on the base level of liking musicals. It um, is very I think good. it probably has good music. I just rewatched, I, I didn't rewatch, I just watched for the first time Funny Girl, um, and I was not impressed with it. <laughs> but, um, but My Fair Lady seems more my thing. But anyway, that whole thing I'm sure you can read about other places because it's one of the most famous like Oscar stories ever. But the ceremony also sees the first recipient for best makeup and hairstyling. It goes to a film called The Seven Faces of Dr. Lau. However, this does not become a competitive category for another 16 years. I believe it stays in honor. I don't know if they keep rewarding. We'll find that out as we keep going because I didn't look ahead. But it's just, you know, they awarded it to William J. Tuttle for Seven Faces of Dr. Lau. All right. Now I have a little fun quiz for you guys. Okay. So this is the first year which three films received 10 or more nominations. And the only time three films have received 12 or nominations. Those were obviously Beckett, My Fair Lady, and Mary Poppins. So obviously I opened up the other two ones. One of them is the 50th Academy Awards where the three films are all 11 nominations, Star Wars, Julia, and The Turning Point. However, the other one is the 92nd Academy Awards, which is 2019, where four films actually get 10 or more nominations. I want to see if you guys... Can guess your four. I just want you both to lock in four for yourself, and we'll see who gets more of them. Wait, can you? Is this cheating? Can you tell me the year? I, I said 2019. 2019. 2019. These are films, 2019. films that came out in 2019. Films that came out in 2019. So okay, 2020 so 2020s, Oscars. 
Okay. I'll tell okay, you, you. I'll give you. A, I'll give you a hint and say this is the year that Parasite wins because Parasite obviously had Parasite, no nominations. Yeah. And no, like Parasite did not have ten or more nominations. I think that's pretty clear because it did not get a lot of technical acknowledgement or acting in outcome. This is twenty nineteen. This is recent. The reason I'm confusing you guys on is because it's pretty recent. I know oh, there was gosh. a pandemic in there. Oh, the gosh. only movie, I, the only other movie I remember that was nominated was Joker, and that was yeah. only like two nominations, right? That wasn't much. Joker was um, like a few. I know it was at least score and actor, but it might have been some other stuff. Picture, I think. Mm. Um, I don't believe that the Joker qualifies i refuse to believe that uh green book no Wait, this, is, this is not the same year what are you joker and joker and parasite didn't come out in the same year yes they did what i literally saw joker two weeks before i saw parasite yeah that's the same year okay but <laughs> time time is not time is not real um so joker and parasite were the same year and that was Here, in your how, about, how about I help you out a bit more? Because you guys seem a little lost. I'll just read you alphabet. Well, no, I don't even need to read it. I'll just read you guys the best picture lineup. It's four okay. of these movies, okay? Okay. So, obviously, Parasite wins, and it's not Parasite. So, the other options are Ford v. Ferrari, The Irishman, Irish. Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, Marriage Story, 1917, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. 1917 definitely has it. I would imagine. I think nineteen seventeen. Little Women has it. Nineteen seventeen. Okay. Um, the Irishman. Um, I don't think Little Women because it didn't get. Well, maybe the Little Women. Well, is it Little Women or Once Upon a Time? Because I'm I think it's one of those two. Way, so I can read them back. <laughs> I, I think right. so I, I think this has turned into turned into us collaborating more than competing. I know that's um, fair. That's fair. Well, once we'll upon a time in Hollywood had like picture supporting actor, supporting actress, probably writing. a screenplay nom. Yeah. Um, yeah. Probably. Okay. Yeah. Probably was that over with Little Women then. But Little Women had at least one acting. I don't remember if Meryl Streep was nominated. Sorry, Cirque Ronan was she not? She had to be nominated. So that's she two was nominated. Gurley was this. nominated. Meryl was Pugh. not nominated for Little Women. But Florence Pugh, Florence Pugh was. So yeah. at least but Laura Dern two, should have been. Laura Dern should have been. Well, over she was, her she was nominated elsewhere. So two well, there. Little Women was a better movie. So, better so two there, and then screenplay, not director, but picture. I'm assuming costume design, uh, set design, mm. whatever. I don't know. Uh marriage story you have writing you have picture you have acting, you have acting uh, marriage you have story acting. has a lot of acting noms yeah. but i'm very surprised you guys haven't got at least one of these yet oh so none these? of the ones we've said no 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 no, no 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 i'm sorry sorry um what do you guys want do you want to lock in an answer now i'll tell you 1917 1917 has 10 irishman yeah irishman is one you guys didn't mention the Irishman is what I was like. We didn't mention oh, wait, Irishman. Didn't mention <laughs> yeah, okay, we, sorry. We, the yeah. Irishman was what I was referring to. The Irishman is our snub club movie. Yeah. That's why I was surprised you guys didn't think of it. Yes. No, Sarah said that early on. All right, so then there's um, two other ones. Two others. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Well, if there are two others, then it can I be. I feel um, like both Marriage Story and Little Women might have had a score now. Maybe. I think those are the two to go for. All right, you guys locking in Little Women and Marriage Story? Yes. All yeah. right. They both have six noms each. Oh. So with 10 nominations, it's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh. Gosh darn it. Because, I hate of that course, movie. it gets... Well, it gets... I think no, it wins production design, which I think is a very fair win for it. It has very cool yeah. production design. Um, and then I think it gets tech stuff all the way down, and of course Leo and Brad as well. And Tarantino getting a director nom, blah blah. Well, didn't uh, <laughs> Mar- so Margot Robbie guys. Margot Robbie inexplicably got a nom too. No, not for that movie. I believe yes, she, she gets did. nominated for Bombshell. She, she got nominated for Bombshell? For- uh, yeah, no, I thought Charlize Theron was nominated for Bombshell. They both get nominated for Bombshell. Charlize Theron's in lead, Margot Robbie's in supporting. I thought huh. she was nominated for Once Upon a Time at Home. Who is no, she? Was supporting actress lineup? Oh, she's okay. Yeah, Mar- Mar- Laura Dern wins for Marriage Story. Bad win. Kathy uh, Bates for Richard Jewell. Scarlett Johansson. Richard Jewell. Jojo Rabbit. Florence Pugh. Little Women. Margot Robbie. Bombshell. In that lineup, I have to vote for Florence Pugh. Not only because I like Florence Pugh, but it's like these other options. As a big Jojo Rabbit fan, these other options are not there for me. <laughs> um, but the other one, which I was surprised you guys dismissed so quickly, was Joker. Because I remember being a big controversy that Joker, all the other ones had 10 nominations. Joker has 11. What is so, really? Okay. Picture after score, screenplay. Director, famously knocking no. out a ton of other great... Not, like, remember, there was no female directors nominated, and yet they had room for Todd Phillips. That oh, was the no. big thing. Was like, oh, where no. is Greta Gerwig's nom for this movie? Like, oh, you no. really had to put the Todd Phillips in there. The Groker. The Groker is there. All right, all right. Here's the Joker noms, then we can move on to the uh, back to 37. Joker is nominated for Best Picture, Best Director for Todd Phillips, obviously wins Best Actor for Joaquin. Best adapted screenplay, which I always point to as thank God Logan got that nom to break that barrier, and it wasn't Joker that broke that barrier. Wasn't because Dark, I, wait, wasn't the Dark Knight nominated or no, was oh Dark Knight was snubbed in adapted screenplay? Oh. Yeah. J- Logan was the first comic book movie nominated for a screenplay. Um win score, as we've said, nominated for both sound awards. We don't the sound category isn't combined until the following year. Um, nominated for cinematography, makeup, costumes, and film editing. That's 11 noms. And Little Women wins costumes, by the way, just so you are aware. It does win costumes. Snub for Bob Odenkirk. All right, all right. Last thing I'll say. I want you guys to guess what wins. I'm going to read them out alphabetically. Guess what wins the makeup category. Bombshell, Joker, Judy, Maleficent, Mistress of All Evil, or 1917. I feel like it was Judy. It was something stupid. It was like I feel like Maybe it was Judy. Zellweger wins for Judy. Um, I'll go it's, for nineteen seventeen. It is a stupid win. It's neither of those. It's bombshell. Okay, but listen, they really made her look like Megan <laughs> Kelly. They did. <laughs> yeah, but I they made I, one I blonde right woman look like another blonde there. woman. <laughs> Yeah, and if I remember right, the Nicole Kidman makeup impressed me more than the... Well, it's so funny because she's the only one that looks like her and she looks just like her. And it's like they didn't care about anybody else looking like anybody else. <laughs> alright, alright. We'll go now. back to the 37 Academy Awards. Um, other quick question. Just a very quick question. Beckett ties the record for John, with Johnny Belinda 
for 11 nom- 11 losses. Because so has 12 nominations, only wins one. Can you guys remember the most recent film? Because the other two on this list are Snub Puppet movies. Power right? the Dog. So what? Yeah, it's Power <laughs> the Dog that loses 11. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. There you go. Much easier question. Um, Yeah, that's what I got. Well, 11 losses. So, this movie exists. Hush, hush, sweet Charlotte. Exists for one reason. And that reason is a better movie. It's called Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, which I watched uh, about a week ago because we had some time to prepare and I'd been wanting to see it anyway. Um, That movie was... um, Joan Crawford had been looking for a reason to make a film with Betty White for, or not Betty White, (laughs) Betty Betty Davis. Davis. You keep doing this. Bette Midler. um, (laughs) uh, With Betty Davis, because they were both very big stars um, at their time. And they shared some time uh, at the same studio. Here's the thing. They had a feud. Kind of. The feud, of course, was exaggerated by the press because the press was, you know, being misogynistic against these two women and like trying to make a cat fight. But in reality, their paths didn't cross that much. They didn't compete for that many roles. There was one point where one of them maybe had an affair with the other one's husband. I, uh, I don't know all the details. So what you're saying is like, yeah, there might've been an affair, but really they were competing at all. Well, Sorry, no, no, no. I, I don't know. I don't remember the details on that. But like, even then, that was that was years before. Well, um, if if Elizabeth Taylor and Debbie Reynolds could stay friends after having the same husband, then they should. Be yeah, friends. yeah. But like, it, it was one of those things where it was played up by the media, and especially when what what happened to Baby Jane came up, because that movie that movie plays into the rivalry pretty heavily, um, and highlights both of the actresses like talents and stuff in a really cool way. Um, and, but on set they were cordial. They did have, they were very different people and they did, their personalities did clash and they had a couple run-ins throughout the years, but both of them did have a mutual respect for each other. However, off the back of the rivalry, whatever happened to baby Jane did really well also because it's a really good movie. So they want to make a follow-up to it. Same director, a lot of the same cast members. But this is basically a spiritual sequel to it. Yeah. Really like. yeah. And a lot of structural similarities. It's but the same writer, they lose, too. Yeah, but they lose Joan Crawford. Do either of you have the details on why that happened? Uh, yeah, so... Oh, Sarah's got it great. Good. So I don't know why exactly she dropped out, but she claimed that she had like a respiratory infection or some sort of illness. And then they hired a private investigator to see if she was really sick. Um, I guess she wasn't because then she dropped out. Um, And then, so then they hired, they had to beg Olivia de Havilland to uh, be in the movie in her chateau in Switzerland. He had to climb the mountain to go see like, her. This like, is true. It's like last week's episode, and we have several weeks ago, but this was a succession episode this season. <laughs> this is literally... Go on, sorry. Um, and then Betty uh, Betty, da- uh, Betty Davis. We keep wanting to say Betty I know, White. I keep wanting to say Betty Caleb. White. Betty Davis gleefully leaked it to the press, um, and it was not to be. 
Um, we've talked about probably the the most uh, juicy uh, part of their rivalry, which was I forget the year, but it's when Joan Crawford went to Betty Davis was nominated, and Joan Crawford went to every um, every other actress and asked if she could accept the award, so that when Betty Davis lost, she would be handed the Oscar. Um, it was the same year as Baby Jane. Yeah, yeah. Um, was that 1960? I don't remember. I think 64, maybe. Guys, Feud got removed, and every episode's being directed by Gus von Sant. What? <laughs> yeah, you didn't know that? It's about I didn't know the, the Gus von Sant part of it. That's crazy. <laughs> Sorry, go We're on. We're not there yet. Well, no. That, Sorry, that's I a, apologize. <laughs> that's a good segue because the mythology of this feud carried on like a long way. Obviously, these are two very well-regarded actresses with very big personalities, so it makes sense that you would want to mythologize the feud, possibly in a streaming television series made by another hack. Danny? <laughs> Ryan Murphy. A known misogynist. I liked one. He's made... A- He's made probably like 300 seasons of television at this point, and I liked one of them. <laughs> that was People versus OJ. That was it. But Olivia de Havilland is relevant, because the last thing she ever did in her life in the news was she sued the feud Betty versus Jones show, because they, they did not contact her for permission. Um, and the lawsuit lasted pretty long, even yeah. though it was eventually dismissed. It wasn't fully done until January 2019. And she was uh, still alive. She was 103 or something. Yeah. So she was like, I the way this show was structured, I've never watched the show. Now I'm curious about the Gus von Sant season, honestly. <laughs> but the... Uh, the show uses like an office. It's a pseudo documentary style, but it's like the office, right? Like we cut to confessionals of these act, these characters. And she, Olivia de Havilland said that this is structured. So you're supposed to think that this is me saying it in a documentary style. And they did not ask me for consent for this, even though it is a historical show. Um, the defendants filed a mo- motion to dismiss under the anti-slap law, which is not about Will Smith. Um, we you should know what be, anti-slap he should be arrested. <laughs> He's done a lot worse things than some other people, you know? <laughs> slap is way worse than some other things out there. We we didn't we didn't have this banter on the podcast. It makes no sense. <laughs> I think you don't even need context to know we're making fun of how much people overreacted to Will Smith, including our it's fun that we're gonna keep digging at ourselves because I think we all overreacted to it too in the moment. Yeah, but not as bad as some people. <laughs> um, but the court denied the idea that it fell under anti-slap, but then it got appealed. Blah, blah blah. You know, no one can own their own history. All that, and then eventually, Olivia Havilland died. But yeah, yeah. I, I think is it's Hush, Hush, Sweet Charlotte covered in the show. It. I think it is. I think so. Because Olivia uh, it is. It's episode seven of eight. It's um, called Abandoned. It's directed by Helen Hunt. Well, I think it's interesting that because Olivia de Havilland, she was kind of, she had this, she had a reputation for being very sweet and soft spoken and just a very overall, just a very nice person. 
um, she said that she she didn't regret being in Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte, but it was a little against type. But she wanted to do it for Betty Davis, but maybe she didn't fit in the role. So I just think it's funny how she was like, "F you, Ryan Murphy. I'm 101. I can do whatever I want." <laughs> <laughs> in the show, I will say the the way the Wikipedia for the show describes um, episode seven abandoned describes um, Crawford leaving the picture is when filming returns to Los Angeles, Joan fakes an illness to stop production. <laughs> <laughs> the 20th Century Fox will cancel the film. She eventually learns that the studio is suing her for breach of contract, and while in the hospital, learns via radio announcement that Olivia has replaced her. Hysterical, Joan destroys her hospital room and Mama Sita leaves her. Sure. <laughs> sure. Great. Joan Crawford deserves better. I think everyone deserves better than a Ryan Murphy show. And besides Leah <laughs> Michelle, she can stay. They need to make anyway. a feud, Leah versus Beanie. Leah, Leah versus Nia. Hush. Hush, sweet Charlotte, is about. Hush, hush, Danny. <laughs> hush, hush, sweet Danny, is about um, an old uh, Southern belle uh, who is famous because uh, because everyone thinks that she killed her her uh, her lover back in the day, specifically by chopping off his hand and his head. I just wait, 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 wait. realized you realize had complained about Lauren Dern. <laughs> yes. I was gonna say we gotta mention very important the 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 young person who's killed in this movie is played by an extremely young Bruce Dern <laughs> who I look you know you know I'm watching the movie I'm about 25 minutes in I'm like oh I wonder I really oh yeah Bruce Dern is in this and I look up I'm like oh he's the guy who's already killed I immediately skip back a couple scenes to watch him get killed again and as soon as you start talking I'm like oh yeah I know that's Bruce Dern he literally talks the same way he does now he has pretty much the same voice just of yeah obviously more gravel now <laughs> and I'm like great cool that is definitely Bruce Dern but yeah sorry go on <laughs> but yeah so the first you know 15-20 minutes of this movie is a flashback to the 1920s you see kind of the build up to the murder. You see the after effects of the murder. Um, and then it cuts to the 60s where uh, Charlotte, played by Betty Davis, is going a little crazy. Uh, people, have, she's kind of a recluse. People think she's, you know, this murderer. And the state is tear, going to tear down her mansion so that they can build a bridge over it. Um, and so she calls in her cousin, played by Olivia de Handelin, to help out, uh, try to, you know, get her land and secure it. Um, and all these uh, little, little things to kind of maybe heighten up her paranoia and her worse and her mental state keep happening around the mansion. And who is it? Is it the maid? Is it the cousin? Is it the doctor? Or is she just playing crazy? Is it ghosts? Could it be ghosts? Could it be ghosts. Is it the insurance guy who's investigating? Because there's always an oh, insurance guy. I completely guy. forgot about that. I <laughs> like that actor. He was very nice. Nice old guy. Nice old guy actor. You know? <laughs> A snub club classic and yeah, insurance the guy, guy and the old doing guy. detective work. Um, what I was okay. First off, what did we think of Hush Hush Sweet Sorrow? But first, before we answer that, Sarah, I've Caleb's already given his history of Baby Jane. I have never seen Baby Jane. Have you seen Baby Jane? I forget. 
I have not, but I know about okay. it. Yeah, same. Okay. Cool. I will say so. The whole conceit, that. well, the whole conceit of this movie, the dual, the, the duology was, spoiler alert, if that's okay. That's... In Baby Jane, Betty Davis is the villain, and Joan Crawford is the poor victim. And this one, it would have flipped, so Joan Crawford would be the villain, and Betty Davis is the is the victim. Cool. All right. What do we think of the movie? Well, whatever happened to Baby Jane is great. Like, that's not what we're talking about. Though. <laughs> what about this movie? I feel like this is. I know Baby Jane is technically, but this feels like the birth of camp. This is like. This is so. I, this is so queer coded to me. This is so like old hags fighting. Like it's just. I, <laughs> I recently went to the Robert Zemeckis retrospective. And where I finally got to see Death Becomes Her. When I was watching this, I was like, oh, okay, this is where that comes from. You know, like, I'm sure it's Baby Jane too. But it's just, the uh, that entire movie is totally riffing on this. There's a moment, I remember it's very specific. Have you ever seen Death Becomes Her? No. So no. there's a moment in Death Becomes Her where Meryl Streep falls down a ridiculous amount of stairs. And like, like breaking her neck that way. It's really funny. And then there's the moment this when Velma got kicked down the stairs. I just started laughing. So I'm like, okay, this is they they literally like literally just lifted that from that and put it. Well the big moment for me, the big moment for me is when Olivia de Holland goes, He's dead and you killed him. <laughs> Can I just say I love the moment in this movie that reminds me of Pain in Place where she goes, I'm going to call the police and there's nothing you can do to stop me. <laughs> Please don't. I'll give you all of my money. Like, money. And she goes, I should have never come here. Uh, I have a lot of fun with this. That said, I do think, and I have to imagine this is why Baby Jane is better. I, I think this movie, basically it has a pretty good opening 30 minutes. And then it just gets so boring for 45 minutes. And then once Velma starts finally investigating and like doing shit, that's when it becomes good again. But that 40 minutes in the middle is so hard to pay attention to. And it's such a slog. <laughs> Listen, I may have ruined this for me by watching whatever happened to baby Jane beforehand. Um, because like the similarities run deep and with this movie, you can't help but think what would it be like if Joan Crawford had stayed on board? I and I think it would be in this though. I think Olivia's very yeah, fun in this. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like I don't think she's bad, but I don't think she has the chemistry with Davis that Crawford has. Yeah. Well, I think um, so much of it too is like just the lore that's already built in with those. Yeah, two. I just also I don't know. I think the character dynamic is a lot less interesting because like it's not it's not sisters who have had like this back and forth. Who's on top? And like, and now they're both at the bottoms of their career. It's just, it's two cousins, and it's the typical like one of them was uh, better than the other, but the that you know, daddy liked one more than the other, and it's all about money at the end of the day. It's not about like the deep psychology of them, and that's just less interesting to me. The opening though, there is a lot of fun melodrama in the opening. I agree with you, Danny. Can I also say one thing? I wanted. Because I like mentioning these like big milestones in our podcast whenever we get to them. And to me, this movie, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you guys can correct me and say I forgot one of the ones I always forget about. 
But this movie to me is a huge milestone because it is the first movie with a cold open. We it takes 15 minutes mm-hmm. for those opening credits to begin. And I was like, hell yeah. Like when the, the credit, the hush hush sweet Charlie, like, no, it was like when 20th Century Fox Pictures finally appeared like on the screen. I was like, oh yeah. Like, you know, like when Drive My Car pops up out, like 40 minutes in, you're like, hell yeah. But this is, it's like the 60s. Like, I didn't even know they could do this back then. Yeah. This is amazing. But like, I was very excited when the credits started because I was like, cool. I thought maybe they somehow pulled it off and like, this was like a, you know, they just had the credits at the end, even though I know this is predates Star Wars. But I was like, whoa, cool. Anyway, that's all. I wanted to mention that because that, that's because I do like the opening flashback specifically and how it leads into the credits. Yes. Um, Did you think what? that everyone in that flashback had very like 60s hairstyles for the 1920s? <laughs> I did not realize. Uh, yeah. Sure. I might be yes. wrong. I'm not I'm not an expert on hair, but <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure it was not correct. <laughs> I feel also, like. I wanted... oh, no, sorry, go, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was gonna. No, I was gonna jump to a different scene. But if, if you're responding, well, to the opening, I was just gonna say, I was. I was not so much about the opening. I was just gonna say, I feel like I was gonna talk about something else, kind of. Um, I was just gonna say, I think that this movie just feels like the twists are not very good. Like there is some twist, but like like Baby Jane, ha- I'm not gonna spoil it, but it has like a big twist in it, and it's like this just didn't feel very exciting to me. Is it when you find out whatever happened to Baby Jane? Exactly. Ooh. Um, There's the last thing I'll say about the opening. Um, well, besides the besides I like the, the kill, the kill is it's so graphic. The kill is so it's funny. like all on screen. <laughs> That's so funny. It's so goofy. And then when you see the head later in the movie, oh my word. Okay. Um anyway, the uh the father at the beginning um is the same uh is a is a holdover actor from whatever happened to baby Jane. But in that he plays a uh, a pianist who's working with Jane um and has a possessive mother. And a really weird, like, Hitchcockian relationship with his mother. And in this, he plays the possessive father. And it's this very fun, like, twist on the formula. But also, he is way too young to be playing this <laughs> patriarch. I like, um, not the, op- it's near the opening, but it's not that. It's when Olivia de Havel, I would say it's close in the first act. The first time you really get to see the camp of this movie to me. Is that scene where Olivia de Havilland is at the dinner, <laughs> and she's like, "Yeah, I'm here to help you move out and tra- like transition out of here." <laughs> and Betty Davis just like, "What? Why oh, do you think I'm Betty Davis you? is so over the top. She literally goes like, you "Bitch!" It's like, "Oh my." God. I will say there is actually there is one there's one shot of Joan Crawford in this movie, and it is oh. the, the intro of the character because originally. I think this was in feud. I could be wrong. I haven't seen it where she does this like long this, this this long take of her getting out of the car and like putting on her sunglasses and she looks so glamorous. Um but so they use like one tiny little shot of the character still in the car and then the movie mm. of the comes out. That's cool. Good for Joan. She got <laughs> she got in this. She gets to work with Bruce. I'm sure she's sure she paid for it too. <laughs> 
no, this movie, like, the plot doesn't really matter here. This movie, it does, like, it, 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 it's one of those things where I feel like it takes way too long to reveal why she's actually there. You know? But it's also, like, I don't know. I just feel like, who else could it be, though? That's The mystery is just not satisfying. Well, yeah, and that's the... The mystery isn't very satisfying, and it's not tied into uh, De Havilland's motivation. And then, so, like, it's fine if it takes a back seat and it's just kind of like window dressing, but then they have this insurance character to keep reminding you of it. I will say, I don't know if I, there's this thing I, I Googled because I, I missed it somehow. This was in that point where I was re- like, you know, I said there's like 40 minutes of the movie that's so hard to pay attention to. At the end, when like he hands her the letter, I was like, "What? Who cares?" And I googled it. And I was like, "Oh, okay. Apparently, that was a really important scene where he got well, that letter." And I yes and no. Like... Yes and no, because I think they actually reveal it earlier. Because that's when Olivia De Havilland, right before she dies, she says that she's she became wealthy because the widow who killed Bruce Stern, she's been blackmailing her. That's what. That's how she says she got her money. So that's why the widow is like, you've done enough damage to me. So well, yeah, no, remember, it's kind of at two points where they reveal who did it. Well, no, this is, but that's not what I mean. I don't, uh, I meant like, what is the significance of I like him giving You're it right. to I her. remember that because that, that thing is like, <laughs> about this movie is the dialogue is constantly like monologuing like their motivations. And it's really funny because like whenever they do their reveals, it's like, um, Olivia de Havilland's character and her boyfriend are like, "Wow, it's so great that we use this head from this oh, yeah. guy who's this so Hollywood great at making special effects artist." <laughs> <laughs> like they always deliver like the reveals like that. I just, but, um, what? I just don't. I so much of this movie is just it worked in whatever happened to Baby Jane, so we'll do it here. And part of that is like the reputation of these two women with like the surrounding community. But because this is set so far out on like a plantation and like the characters constantly have to drive into town and stuff, it feels so isolated from that community. And then at the end where they're like, she probably did it anyway. <laughs> it's like, why are you okay. <laughs> I know the ending was so weird. It was like everybody was gossiping. It's like, and they kind of did that at the beginning with the kids, where the kids just go into her house, which is just like, all right. Funny looking kid. As someone who uh, just covered up for their Pixar podcast, like I said, the opening of this movie, I wonder if Pete Doctor saw it and was like, hmm, can I give uh, can I give Carl a shotgun? And Disney was like, no, you cannot. (laughs) I will say there was one influence. I hate saying this. The opening, the credits was a big. It it had a big influence on a on a recent movie, um, that was critically acclaimed and I hated. Um, Drive my car. No. <laughs> when she's when they do the credits and her face, she's just like, oh, oh I know. Yeah. I I think it, yeah. It actually was you... recommended on the side too that I could rent it. So. <laughs> Are we talking about the same movie? I don't know. What movie are you talking about? I'm talking about Pearl. Oh, I was not thinking. I was thinking about. I was thinking Timothy Chalamet and calling oh. by your name. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. <that> type of thing. 
Listen, I don't want to see Call Me By Your Name too, but do I want to see Army Hander, Army Hammer, and Timothy Chalamet in a Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte remake? Yes. I don't want to see Army Hammer in anything. We can put Michael Stuhlberg in that role. I don't see Timothy Chalamet in anything. Well, he's going to be Willy Wonka, so. You know what? He can't be worse than the last one. <laughs> That's pretty true. Uh. Speaking of abuse, <laughs> this is a fun movie. I, I like my, my general take on the movie. Maybe I, it's like a, it's a three out of five. Like it's got those 40 minutes that are rough, but I had enough fun with it that I didn't hate it. You know? I don't know. <laughs> I, the dinner scene is kind of where it kind of falls apart for me because yes. the rivalry comes on so fast. Um, but the, the, the very ending is good. Like what happens to Joe or not Joan Crawford? Uh, De Havilland and um, Joseph Cotton's the uh, actor, right? He's playing the doctor. I just keep thinking, like, I'm like, uh, his boy, her boy toy. Like, yeah, her boy. his whole role yeah. in the movie is to be like, you know, I have blackmail on you. And he's just like, want to bet? <laughs> what I do y'all think, think about Agnes Moorhead? Oh, <laughs> I, her Creole accent really got to me. It, it was getting very grating, but I did enjoy, like, again, I like the 10 minutes you basically get of her being competent is in, like where she becomes the protagonist of it. And the movie, I think that's the m- most successful the movie is actually being like the suspense horror movie. Because I will say, I feel like her falling down the stairs and her eyes being open is it like it makes it so much more disturbing. Like, that's like this movie can like it was meant to be disturbing to people. Like cutting off Bruce Stern's hand on screen, like stuff like that. Like it's just like the little things that make it like now it's just like creepy. Now it's just like curse, you know. (laughs) See, yeah, I think I think it's man that murder scene really does set a tone. It's a good tone. I wish the rest of the movie could keep it up. I um I don't like because it's it's one of those things where it's like yeah it's, it's really just one of those movies where it's hard to talk about because there's nothing deeper to this. That's the thing it's too. Just, is it so corny that it's like half of it's get nominated for anything? It feels to me like um, it feels to me like this had to be like the Gone Girl of its time, right? Like the kind of high, the elevated, like really like dumb book thriller that's still fun to watch because it's. Made by someone, I think David Finch is more talented than this director, even though I haven't seen his other movies. But you know, like someone who's halfway decent, right? Like someone who's elevating the very bad material. But in this case, it's not the director, it's Betty Davis going cam. <laughs> there, there is some fun filmmaking here, lots of fun zooms. Um, yeah, I would agree. I actually also really like the this, effects. I think the uh, there's a couple of shots that are what I always refer to as um the Wes Anderson shot or recently because of John Wick, the hotline Miami shot where it's like these cool, like overheads that are straight down in the mansion. I really enjoy those. And I think this is actually one of the earliest instances I've seen that in a movie, uh, which I think is really cool. Maybe baby Jane has that too. Cause isn't baby Jane the same director? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, but... When did, when did uh dial M come out? The what? Dial M for murder. Oh, probably before this. I think it has I'm one sure of those. It but yeah, it's it's not it, it wouldn't have been a super common thing. It came out ten years before the style and for murder. 
It does kind of. But have, hey, if you're gonna rip off, rip off from the best. Like, well, it Hitchcock, does have you know? kind of a Hitchcockian yeah. feel to it. Yeah, just yeah. you know, just, just a little. It's, it's dumb Yeah, <laughs> it's like Hitchcock with all the psychology that people like to put on to Hitchcock drained out, and it's just like spectacle. But like again, it's it's a nice change of pace for what we watch on the show, you know. Oh, I am astounded this got nominated for anything because <laughs> yeah. today, no, would it happen? I don't know. Like, I'm not gonna say what I'm pick, but I think some of these like make sense, like production design, right? It's like they designed a really cool house where you have to remember the geography of the house. It's like the parasite nom, right, for production design. Um, we already said the zooms are really cool. Half inside's kind of weird. I think the score is very good. I think the film editing, obviously, it's a horror movie, so it's going to have good editing, horror editing. And then the song. I like the song. Whatever think you think of the song, good. it's implement. What? You think I, it's good or you don't? I think the song is good. Yeah, I think the song's pretty solid. And more than it being solid, it, you know, it's a song that is narratively important to the film, which is always something that's good. The weird nom here is Agnes Moorhead, but to me, it's only weird because she's the only acting nom. Right, that that's what makes it weird to me that she singled out as the only performance in this movie worth a damn. Because to me, the movie gets so much better after she dies. <laughs> like that, like like it's not it's not even her her character's fault. It's just once she dies, it is just Olivia de Havilland openly scheming right. against Betty Davis. Before it, it's like a mystery where you all know the answer, but once she's openly scheming, it's like okay, fun, like cool, let's be over the top about. This. I only heard that when she throws the chair at her. Just it's so it's you know what chair throwing realness we love to see it. <laughs> it I reminds me how, of someone. <laughs> I just love how the whole. Yeah, I know. I know who you're talking about. <laughs> uh, I just love how the whole the entire sequence where she's making her throw out the fake body is incredible. Yeah, because let me. She's like, please help me, please help. Like, I don't want to move it. No, you want me to move this damn body. <laughs> It's like, it's just great. like knowing that it's just like a special effects corp that they just throw in there. What's funny is to me is like I I you know obviously the whole movie I'm watching that it's like okay yeah it's a fake body but then they really go to the trouble of showing like the air leave from the lips of it. Yeah. It's like wait I was very much like wait what was it actually? I do think it's hilarious. The part that really stuck with me is when Olivia De Havilland is talking to the doctor and she's like. Do we have to keep going? And he's like, yes, we have to do the full plan. And it's like, this was the plan. <laughs> I also just love that. When, he, when she comes in tomorrow, you will be the one who, who's diagnosed with Prince Eddie. And she just scream and scream and scream. <laughs> I, think, I think you guys are winning me over a little bit more towards the movie. Um, I would not recommend watching these this with whatever happened to Baby Jane so close because they really are the same movie. Like so many plot points are just taken directly from whatever happened to baby Jane. But with that, with that removal, I think I may have had a better time with this movie. It's it really, to me, it is just like, it's like, it, I'll give it a three out of five, right? It's not great, but it's such a change of face from what we watch that it feels like a relief in a lot of ways. It's like, okay, cool. We got to watch something fun for once. It's not a three hour epic about Cardinals. I like the three hour epic about Cardinals, but you can't do those all the time. It gets very exhausting. You get maybe like one fun movie a decade. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, cool. Like, we'll take it. I'll take it. This will be a fun little 
fun little Halloween watch, I feel like, you know? But all right. Anything else you want to say about this movie? I don't know. There's really not a lot to it. It's a fun time. No. That's what, it's it just feels like the malignant of its time. <laughs> I wouldn't go that hard, far, but it is pretty fun. Malignant also uses the over-the-head shots. <laughs> Chair throwing overhead shot. Oh, right. Imagine Joan Crawford as Gabriel. <laughs> I think uh, Joan Crawford should be the cop from Megan that I keep thinking. Like he, he'll be on my sporting actor. Back, I was right? thinking about <laughs> him. Cop from I was Megan. thinking about him like the other week. <laughs> that the cop guy from makes Megan is the like movie. It's, it's so funny how like this guy shows up. Who's literally a, like you, I read an interview with him and it's like he's the like yeah so I'm friends with the director like, yeah they I was in the movie <laughs> yeah he's like yeah I like they I'm friends with the director he called me and said I have a bit role for you I'm like okay sure and then, <laughs> he's the part I keep thinking about like my boss watched it on Peacock I'm like you know what my favorite part of that movie was he's like she's like what I'm like the cop she's like the cop is insane the we all but that's what say, like makes that movie because it establishes that every single person in this world is just a little bit worse than normal. But here's the thing: I'm going, to, I'm going to I'm going to thematically tie this in because I think without a movie like whatever happened to Baby Jane, we would not have the Megans of the world. Because Megan is full camp; it's meant to be goofy, it's meant to be wacky, and I feel like this is kind of in that same vein. I definitely recommend to you both if you like this. Death Becomes Her is really funny. It's really great. It's such a love letter to this. Um, because it's Meryl Streep and um oh, who's the other woman in it? I could just look it up, but I'm feel dumb that I forget her. But Bruce Willis is the love interest, which is really funny because he just plays a schlub. Uh, <laughs> uh I'm gonna feel so dumb, but I'm looking it up. Who the uh other woman in it is. Because the other woman's a lead. Uh, the actually Goldie Hawn. It's Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn, oh, basically yeah. in these roles, and it's so fun. <laughs> who would uh, before we go? Who would we cast in the remake of Olivia uh, Wilde and Florence Pugh? Easy. Are no. they too young? Are they, too, are they? Who would I cast? Are we are we keeping it to this age, like older actresses? Uh, I mean, I'm not gonna force you to, but I think that'd be fun. I feel like you gotta cast Kate Blanchett in one of these. Like Kate I would cast. Go ham. I Kate would cast. Kate Blanchett and Viola Davis. That's Michelle Williams. I would She's cast. She's too young. I'm thinking old. I'm thinking this age. That's true. Yeah. I, I, go. I would cast uh, Sarah Jessica Parker and Kim Cattrall because they are oh, cutie. Be <laughs> I, I I gotta go with my um Kate Blanchett Viola Davis pairing. <laughs> I don't know who's who. <laughs> but I think they'd be great. They do not get the ham. Although I, I haven't seen the trailer yet, but I hear Viola does serve a lot of ham in the Hunger Games trailer. Um, which is pretty exciting in my opinion. I, I'm gonna go Linda Carter and Jamie Lee Curtis. I think they'd be so much fun together. Oh, you know who I thought you were? I thought you were saying Linda Cardellini for a second. I was like, what? <laughs> You know, Jamie Lee in this does make sense. Jamie Lee. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I think maybe Kate Blanchett and Viola are too young. So let me give you another old actress. But both of them would be really fun. Christine like... Bransky. Okay. Christine Bransky and Jamie Lee are my... Or maybe it's a you again reunion. It's just Sigourney and uh, Jamie Lee. Okay. 
See, I don't think Sigourney would work for this, but what if know. she is in her mocap suit from Avatar, but she just plays the entire role <laughs> in live action? <laughs> and like, she's like, "Yeah, my friend James made me this fake hat." And it's oh just, god, it's just a it's just a ping pong ball. Um, anyway, all right. Sarah, what was this nominated for? Uh, well, it was nominated for Best Supporting Actress for Agnes Moorhead, Best Art Direction, Black and White, Best Cinematography, Black and White, Best Costume Design, Black and White, Best Film Editing, Best Music Score, Substantially Original, and Best Song. All right. We'll be real here. I think, and again, this is, goes back to our thing where it's like, don't think about what you take it from. But also, in this case, if I give it best original score, the Sherman Brothers still win best song, so I don't give a shit. But I also think of these, the score is the best option. I think the score in this movie, we didn't talk about a lot. I think it's very effective and also very weird at points. And I enjoy that it's weird because I think it matches the tone of the movie perfectly. So I'll go with best original score. Um, I will give it best song. No further okay. comments at this time. R.I.P. Chim Chim Tree. <laughs> Uh, weird all... choice for Mary Poppins. To pick I know. Song. I was thinking the same thing. For the for the boards would be the winner. Of this like that would be the one they submit nowadays for the uh, feed the birds. Yeah, but Chim Chimery is like the showstopper in the middle. Um, the actual song Mary Poppins. Also, no, Jolly Holiday is. Um, and Step in Time. Those two are more showstopper. Um, but the secret best song of a Mary Poppins is A Man Has Dreams. Just saying, makes me cry every time. I'm gonna go cinematography. I think it's, uh, it's pretty good. I was thinking. yeah, it it has a lot. I think it matches the personality that the that the stars are bringing to the screen. All right, Adonam. Oh boy. Listen, here's my struggle. Should I give it makeup for the for the hand, or is that special effects? I'm gonna go special effects because the yeah. Okay. That yeah. that that death okay. scene needs that death scene needs an award. <laughs> um, I will also give it special effects only because the part when she's fantasizing and it's like Anastasia and she's dancing with all the goats, they just put a filter over that, her to make her. You know, look during younger. that scene I was thinking how cool it would be to watch this on film. Like I was like, how does this look like on film? I think this is really weird and kind of cool. Um all right, I'm going to go with. Hold on, I'm looking for the name of the actor because initially I was going to give it with Betty just because the idea of Betty, um, um, Betty giving an like having an Oscar clip of this movie is very amusing to me. Um, but I'm going best supporting actor Joseph Cotton because we didn't really talk about a lot, but I do think he's like one of those great like himbo performances. <laughs> <laughs> he's really, he's really casually funny with Olivia because Do- Olivia Dobbins is so like in the back half of this movie and he's just like well really I'm the brains here and it's just like dude you did nothing you literally did nothing I'm ready to go hi <laughs> he's like I did all the work and I think he does a good job playing in that role he, ma- he gives just the right amount of energy to fit in with these other two people who are camping it up even though I would agree Olivia de Havilland could camp it a bit more I think Joseph Cotton is just the right level so I go the real 
the real MVP is the uh, is the unseen person they have making all these prosthetic body parts. <laughs> it's like, well, I guess we so. gotta have a movie. How about do they? It. How do they get a perfect mold of Bruce Dern's head from forty years ago? <laughs> <laughs> all right, you guys want to know what we're doing next time? Yes. Yes. All right, we are going. To have a two-part episode. But we're only going to talk about obviously one movie next time. The 30th Academy Awards is two films that have five nominations and no wins. And the first one is. Can I have a drum roll, please? Carol reads The Agony and the Ecstasy. Charlton Heston and Rex Harrison together at last. Two faves. <laughs> Who we've I never mean, watched movies of. I, I do like Rex Harrison. I know Charlton Heston is a bit of a dick. I'm... Carol Reed, by the way, goes on to direct um, Oliver. If you're curious. Who I'm going to say this and might be the third man. This might be a bold prediction, but I feel like I'm going to lean more towards Agony than Ecstasy with this one. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to go with Ecstasy. Okay. Uh. This is a historical drama about Pope, about a Pope. Why? It's about Michelangelo. It's about the. It's about painting the Sistine Chapel. Why won't it's the Catholics the leave of... us alone? <laughs> uh, good, great question. <laughs> but yeah, that will be what we talk about next time. Um, I'm Danny Vincent. Follow me on Letterbox at Blank. You can listen to my other podcast, Looking for the Ocean, the Pixar Journey. Talking about every Pixar movie ever made. And actually, if I know, if I think about it right, by the time this, no, actually no, because this episode's coming out sooner than I think. But pretty soon we're coming up on a very special episode. Our year anniversary. Where we're going to be taking a little trip. Where to? Well, let me just say, we're going to Disneyland. Hey guys, I'm Caleb. You can find me at Caleb from the Real World on Instagram and YouTube. From there, you can find my litany of other podcasts, Hot Trash Unlimited, The Star Wars Therapy, and All New 52, which I do with my editor, or our editor, Joe. Thank you, Joe. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Joe. I just realized that we're recording this on May the 3rd, which means tomorrow there will be a commentary track of I Presume Empire Strikes Back ready for me. We really feel like actually we couldn't do that in time. We already have a commentary for Empire, so... Oh, are you on the prequels this year? Yeah, our next oh, one's bad. Attack of the, the prequels Clones. First. My bad. I'll... It won't be next month. The new episode is about deleted scenes, and it's very good. I still haven't finished editing it. <laughs> okay, well, just remember, I'm on the Andor episode. Oh. <laughs> okay, thanks for letting us know. <laughs> In 2035. Yeah, I don't know if you're aware. Caleb refuses to do an Andor episode. <laughs> that's, that's what my joke is. Whenever there's an Andor episode, I will be there. You can find me, you can find me on Letterboxd, just my name. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, S-G-K-E-S-S-G-E-E-K-Y-29. Uh, you can find us, uh, The Snub Club, on Facebook, The Snub Club, uh, Instagram, Snub Club Podcast, Twitter, Snub Club Pod. We can't make polls anymore because we don't have a blue check mark. Wait, is that really true? I can't make polls anymore on Twitter? I haven't tried. Yes, that is true. You mean Elon hasn't given us one yet? 
Yeah, we're, we're William Shatner one, but not no. us. <laughs> we're definitely relevant enough. So, anyway, we'll see you next time with a lot of agony and a lot of ecstasy. <laughs> Bye. Hush, hush! <laughs>